you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. When you want something bad enough, you're probably willing to do whatever it takes to get it, aren't you? When you and I wanted to get that promotion at work, we worked really hard to get that promotion, at least those of us that really wanted it. When we met our spouse and we wanted to win them over, we did whatever we could to make sure that they liked us and eventually would marry us, right? That's essentially how it works. When you want something bad enough, you go all in. It's as if you're playing poker, you go all in on this. My question to you and me is this. When it comes to the wisdom of God, are we going all in? Do we long for God's wisdom like that? Saying, you know what, God, I want that more than anything else. I want to know you in an intimate level that I've never known you before. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want your wisdom above my own. I want you more than anything else and anyone else's approval. Whatever we pursue, whether relationships, success in finances, or even a better future, there's always that has to be done, something that has to be done to achieve that desire. There needs to be effort and work put in. So many talk about wanting to pursue wisdom, even desiring to be wise. But the question is, what are they willing and what am I willing and you are willing to do to get that? There are certain things that we need to do if we long for wisdom. And the truth is, it doesn't come automatically. We're going to be looking at man's actions. And then the second part that we're going to be looking at specifically is that when God promises certain things, he delivers. He delivers. Because the truth is, on the second point that we're going to be looking at, is God has guaranteed or promised results. He delivers on those things. He delivers on those things. You see, one of the struggles for many of us, and I think you and I, if we were to be honest, we know that we want certain things in our lives, but sometimes we're like, I don't want to really put the work in. I want that better relationship, but man, I know what it's going to cost me. I want to be better with my money, but man, that means I can't go out to eat as much. I really want to do better in this area, fill in the blank, but I don't know if I want to put that kind of effort in. Well, let's start off with number one, because for every single one of us, there's an action that we need to take. Number one, man's actions, verses one through four. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. When Solomon is trying to pass on this wisdom to his son Rehoboam, he gives particular actions that need to be taken if wisdom is to be pursued. 
There's almost a logical order to all of this if you look at this text. We're going to be looking at it. These are the instructions that are given. First of all, we're to receive words. First part of verse 1. Second thing is treasure commands. The second part of verse 1. Incline our ear. Verse 2. First part. Apply our heart. The second part of verse 2. Cry out for discernment. The first part of verse 3. Lift up voice for understanding. The second part of verse 3. And then the last one is seek and search for treasure in verse 4. First one, receive words. If you receive my words. Just as we see in the parable of the sower, the word of God must be received as a necessary first step. A person who wants God's wisdom without God's word does not want what he's saying he wants. They're deceiving themselves. Other words mean here to take as your own. When it means to receive, it means to take as your own, to accept, to not just say, I want that, but not really go for it. The idea of aligning as in a marriage. I am the bride of Christ. Jesus is who I align with. That's essentially what's, what's being stated here. In order to pursue wisdom, the word of God must be received as its source in our alignment. Which is one of the reasons why it's very tricky for so many of us. We argue that we want wisdom and don't make the Bible a priority. I want you to give me wisdom, Lord. Except I want to find it everywhere else but where you have it. In your word. The second thing we see here is treasure commands. Here the idea is to keep them inside. To store them in our hearts. To memorize scripture. It's difficult to treasure what you do not possess. How can you treasure something you don't even know? You can't. It's essentially as Mary does, right? She ponders certain things in her heart. That's what we need to be doing with the Word of God. We need to memorize it so it becomes a part of our lives. Without memorization of Scripture, treasuring cannot happen. And unfortunately, our treasuring of Scripture is going to be limited by whatever it is that we memorize from Scripture. You know, there's, there's a few verses that we all cling to because we've heard them so many times. It's almost, you know, without effort for us, right? And, I'll, and I'll, I'll give you some of the ones that I hear a lot from all of us, myself included. God says that He will never leave me nor forsake me, right? That's a true statement in the Word of God. And we believe that. But are there other truths that we have not dug into and memorized that would be a benefit to us? Here's another one. And unfortunately, this one's unbiblical because it can be taken totally different ways. Let go and let God. It can be taken different ways, right? What it means to one person can be something totally different than what it means to somebody else. Some people can mean, hey, take your burdens and give them to the Lord, right? Cast all your cares upon Him. That's what they mean. Other people go, listen, God's got it taken care of. I don't need to do anything. 
Let go and let God. You see how those mean two different things to people? That's essentially what happens sometimes with the Word of God. We misapply what we know because we don't understand the context of the Word of God many times. To treasure the commandments of Scripture means we need to memorize those things. Which is always why it starts with receiving first. You have to receive it at face value. Listen, if the Word of God is precious to us, we're going to want to memorize it. We memorize lyrics from songs all the time. Our kids like that will memorize whatever we're listening to on the radio. If only that became our pattern with the Word of God. And that was something that we intentionally did ourselves. And, and here's, here's the argument. Well, you know, I'm older now. I can't memorize as well as I did. You can start. You may not be able to do as much as a little, you know, five-year-old who's a sponge who can memorize a ton more than you and I can quickly. But it doesn't, it's not one of those things when you stand before the Lord and goes, yeah, you know what, you were older, I get it. You didn't want to memorize Scripture. I don't think that's going to fly for us when we stand before the Lord. I just don't think that's going to work. I value you, Lord, but, you know, memorizing Scripture, eh, yeah, that's for Awana kids. We need to treasure those commands. We need to make a point in our lives to say, you know what, I'm going to take this text of Scripture and I'm going to memorize it. I want to know it for myself and treasure it. The next thing we see here is incline ear. The first part of verse 2. The idea here is the concept that many of us have heard since we're little children. It's summarized in the phrase, pay attention. Any of you just say that this last week to your kids? Did you tell them to pay attention to something that they forgot to do? This is essentially the Lord telling us, uh, pay attention. Where's your focus at? Incline your ear. So many align with the Word of God, even have it memorized, but don't really pay attention to what it actually says. And I'll use this illustration. As a little boy, I memorized a lot of Scripture in Awana. I'm going to be honest with you, Awana did a lot of good for me as a pastor. I memorized a lot of Scripture when I was growing up. Here's the kicker. I memorized a lot. I didn't know a lot of what I memorized meaning I didn't understand a lot of what I memorized. I would, have, I would memorize passages like, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. And some of you are like, King James, what do I do with that? You memorize that. But in order to really incline your ear, to, you have to pay attention, meaning you actually have to dig in and understand what that text is saying. Parents, don't think that because your children are memorizing and they don't fully understand it, you should stop memorizing until they fully understand it. No, have them memorize first. The understanding comes in time. You're not going to be able to break it all down for children at age three. Let me talk to you about the triune God. But you should have them understand, here's what the text of Scripture says regarding this. Listen to the instruction of God. And hear what he actually says to Israel for their rebellion against him in Isaiah 55, 2 through 4. Here's what he says. It's important to pay attention. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David." 
Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. You see, just as the nation of Israel, we have the same proclivity to rebel against God and not pay attention when he's warning us. Here's the kicker. Here's the part that I think strikes all of us because we see it in other people much more readily and easily than our own selves, right? You ever, you ever seen somebody that's really not walking with God correctly and you're like, oh my goodness, they know better. What are they doing? What about when it's us? Here's the thing. We, we, we've been in that spot before. Whether we like to admit it or not, we've been in that situation when we're the ones not paying attention. Like, here's a Mack truck about to hit you. And you're just walking like an oblivious little child about to get smashed. And then you finally do. And the recovery process is hard sometimes, isn't it? It's difficult to restore what's broken in some of those things. Which is why it's important to pay attention. We know what's right, but if we're not giving it full attention, particularly the areas that God is speaking to us through His Word, then we're going to have some problems. And we're only going to have ourselves to blame. This is instruction from a father to a son. says, listen, you got to do this. Makes sense, right? Pay attention. Incline your ear. Totally fatherly advice. And in extension, it's given to us as well from our Heavenly Father, saying, listen, pay attention. I'm talking to you. Pay attention. Every single one of us need to tune in to the right frequency. You ever tune in on the old radios and you couldn't quite clearly get that station because there was static? God wants us to tune in completely to what he's saying here. To not allow distractions to get in the way of paying attention. To incline our ear. But not just to incline our ear, but next we see here to apply the hearts. Apply the heart. Similar to incline, the idea is to turn or bend in the right direction. Not just paying attention enough, but doing what you know you ought to do. You ever do this? You ever know, hey, you know what? I really blew it yesterday. I'm going to pay attention today. I'm going to make sure I don't do the same stupid thing I did yesterday, today. And you're like looking out for yourself, making sure you're in your best behavior. You don't want to blow up at anybody. You want to make sure you're intact. And all of a sudden, what happens? You still do the same thing. And you're like, I literally wanted to make sure I didn't do that. Why? Because you and I didn't apply our hearts. Being aware of something doesn't mean you're necessarily going to do it, right? A lot of people are aware of what's right. They don't always do what's right. Applying heart to understanding is to turn our attention from something into the right course of action. It is not just saying, Lord, I, I get what you're saying. I'm seeing it clearly now, but I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to start applying this to my heart. I'm going to start living this out. Believer, you need to have a game plan for some things you need to apply in your life. Some of you are like, I struggle with this. I don't know what to do about it. You need to have a game plan. Listen, bottom line, let's just talk practically for a second. If it comes to money and you're foolish with money, you think a budget's important? Of course it is. 
Well, you know, God will provide all my needs. Just wing it. That's not how it's supposed to be done. In Proverbs, you're going to see that as we work through some of this. But why is it that in other areas of our lives, we're thinking, I don't need a game plan. I'll figure it out on the way, you know, through life. Here's, a, here's a, an encouragement from me to you because I know that there are areas in my life I need a game plan better myself, not just for a school, not just for a church, but in my own personal life. If there are areas in your life that you know are weak areas that really need to be addressed, you need to have a game plan for them. I knew guys at college that really could not handle having a computer because they look at the wrong things. They had a game plan. They had someone else type in the password to get into the computer. And I know some of you are like, well, that's legalism. If a person's trying to protect their walk with God, that's not legalism. If they went around and said nobody can own computers, that's legalism. But you and I have our own weaknesses. And unfortunately, so many of us go off the track because we're, a, we're trying to work something out without a game plan. There needs to be an intentionality in some of these things. In applying our hearts, there needs to be intention involved. I want to raise my kids for the Lord. Okay, break that down. What does it look like? I'm going to send them to a Christian school. Wrong answer. That's part of the whole problem. That's part of the whole thing. Break it down. What's the game plan? We're going to do this. We're going to do things differently over here. We're going to do. You have to have a game plan. Generic applications do not accomplish much in the life of the believer. Because without specifics, the game plan always falls apart because you don't have one. And I know some of you, the game plan is this. School of Hard Knocks. That's my game plan. Whatever happens, happens. Oops. That's not much of a game plan. You and I are valuable to God. Our children are valuable to God, and we ought to do better in areas that we know we ought to. This isn't Crest or Colgate. It's not one of those things we're talking about. It doesn't matter out of those two. But when it comes to specific things that need to be applied in our lives, we should have a game plan. For example, a lot of people say, I need to love my neighbor better. What does that look like? It's nice Christian cliches we throw out all the time. I need to love God more. Okay, what does that look like? What does it mean? Break it down. Don't go telling everybody else you're doing something if you don't even have a game plan for it. It doesn't stop there. The next part that we see here is cry out for discernment. The first part of verse 3. This is a sense of desperation, knowing you don't have what it takes on your own to make all the calls needed in this life. There is almost an interchangeable meaning slightly with the word understanding in another translation, as it's spelled out here, which says insight. So many disciples of Jesus believe Scripture has all the answers. The problem is when they get to places that there's a principle, they're not sure exactly how to apply it, they need discernment. And they lack it many times. We are limited in our ability to see everything and know everyone to full capacity as God does. Is that not true? 
When you and I have a conflict with somebody else, do we really know what's going on in their life entirely? No, we don't. And they don't know in our lives either. God sees us for who we are entirely. Everyone else has a partial, particularly sometimes biased view. We don't know the person's real attentions every time, do we? We don't know the current struggles that others are going through when we try to connect with them. There's so many things we don't know. We're lacking in the complete analysis, which is why crying out to God for discernment is important. Here's one of the hardest things, and, I, and I'll, I'll be transparent for a moment on something that I know has been brought up over the years. Someone comes up and says, hey, Pastor Roman, I really need some advice on this. And it isn't like, here's a verse that'll tell you exactly what to do in this situation. It's something you have to take a principle of Scripture and apply it correctly. And I'm going to be honest with you folks, there are areas that I literally go, I'm not sure what to do here. You and I need to cry out for discernment. One of the hardest things sometimes, I think, in a, in a, in a ministry setting is knowing what God would want you to do in a certain situation and realizing that sometimes it may be a little different for somebody else based on the circumstances they're in. Not everything is black and white as we like it sometimes. That's why crying out to God for discernment is important. You ever been there? You ever been at a low point in your life, you're like, I don't know what to do. And you just start crying. You don't know what to do. Oh, you know what Scripture says on certain things, but you're not sure how to deal with that particular situation. It's a little more complicated than simply earn a little more money or don't be angry. It's a little more complicated than that. which is one of the reasons why it's followed up with lift up your voice for understanding. Just as we cry out for discernment and insight, there needs to be a heartfelt prayer calling to God for understanding, for comprehension on the subject or question at hand. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I study certain texts of Scripture, and, and most people don't know this. There are areas I get stuck on. I'm like, man, I don't know how to break this out for people. I'm stuck trying to understand what the text is saying. And I plead with God to give me clarity on some things. Having more than simply a discerner for what's going on, but getting a clear picture in the backdrop. So it would be the equivalent of saying, God, something's off with this person. I'm not sure what it is. And then getting a little more deeper understanding and understanding a little bit more why that's going on. You're getting the backdrop. I don't know if that makes sense. It kind of fills in a little more of those details. These things that we see here are external actions a person is to take to pursue wisdom as their walk with God gets closer. There should be an even greater effort if we're still not getting it. You ever been to that spot in your life where it's been a while since you've really gotten it? Like you feel like you're lost. You're just not walking faithfully. You're not walking consistently. You're not sure what to do next. One author puts it this way. If it, understanding, does not come at your first call, raise your voice to a higher pitch, put forth greater efforts. In fact, that's one of the things I think is truly lacking in the church today. 
When something doesn't make sense right away, we give up too easily. When something is just not jiving with us, we're just like, I'm not sure. We give up too easily. And we finish here in this text on what we ought to be doing with seek and search for silver and treasure. The idea here is an earnest desire to find something that is difficult to attain. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. First priority. It matters the most to you and me. Keep making it a priority to seek his wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God. Search here is to dig deeper. There's some stuff on the surface, but when you dig, there's even more. The work is much harder to get into those things, to dig deeper. Surface area reading will give you so much. A rigorous study will give you much more. And I want to challenge you and me. When we take God's Word, you should be able to do both in your life. You should be able to have a reading, devotional time in a sense, and also a time where you pause and you really dig on something that really caught your attention or a book you want to study in the Word of God. Both should be done. You're not going to be able to dig through everything you read, but there should be an intentionality to dig into God's Word deeper, to glean more. And what what really hurts the process for many believers is they're waiting for someone else to dig it out for them. It's essentially a parent that wants to teach their kid responsibility, but their kid is waiting for mom and dad to just give them the money they made. We ought to strive to de- dig ourselves deeper in the Word of God. God's wisdom takes real work to attain especially the deeper truths that must be searched for. I love what Spurgeon says here. Do not be satisfied with a superficial survey of Scripture as many Christians are. These are not the days of contemplation as the old Puritan times were. We are too apt to be superficial. But do remember that while there are nuggets of gold upon the very surface of Scripture, yet the most valuable mines of gold are far down. I also found this quote by David Brainerd to be very helpful here as well. He says, Strive to penetrate to the bottom of divine truths and never be content with a superficial knowledge. Isn't that striking? How many Christians have a superficial knowledge? Oh, I know what the Bible says about the sovereignty of God. Oh, have you studied it? Or are you just parroting what other people have said around you? Have you really dug into the depths of Scripture and how God does work sovereignly sovereignly through all of history? And then apply that template to your life. How many things in your life are you understanding are under that umbrella? It's one thing to say that I believe the sovereignty of God. It's one thing to say it. It's a whole other thing to live it when you have things that go wrong in your life. And understanding how that all fits together. So we see clearly here that it takes real work to pursue wisdom. The question that many of us have is what is it all for? 
Like, what's the benefit here? And by getting anything out of doing all of this work, well, Scripture actually answers that for us. What are the benefits from pursuing wisdom as we ought to? Well, number two, there are promised results. Verses 5 through 9. Here are the results. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. So so what, what are the benefits for me in really pursuing wisdom as I ought to? When we long for wisdom with the attitude of whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it. We can be assured that when we come to an understanding, we will finally see for ourselves what the fear of the Lord really is. The believer that says, I pursue wisdom with every fiber of my being will then understand what the fear of the Lord really is. Without striving for it, as the text says, our mental understanding is disconnected from our reality. That is why there's always a conflict in the way that we live and what we think we know. Because we haven't pursued what we think we want to pursue with our full capacity. We haven't strived for it. We haven't longed for it as Scripture calls us to. The connection to the reverential awe of God is directly related to the intentional pursuit of His Word, which contains His wisdom. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. You and I can't say we fear God as we ought to without striving to hear from Him in His Word. It's essentially saying, I really want a relationship with my Heavenly Father, but I never talk to Him in prayer. Except this is, I don't even want to listen to Him, even though He's already written to me. Your fear of God will be directly connected to your longing to hear His voice found in the Holy Scriptures. A believer that wants to hear from God without hearing from his word is literally living a double standard. So many false converts can easily be identified by their disregard for the clear teaching of Scripture. People ask me all the time, do you know if this person's a false teacher? Do you know if that person's teaching heresy? All of that can clearly be usually spelled out for us as Scripture warns. Those that disregard what God's word clearly teaches are essentially disregarding him. Jesus himself said, why call me Lord and not do what I say? And we're not talking about the moments of doubt and a person falls and things happen in their lives where they're disobedient and sometimes there is outright rebellion. But we're talking about a pattern in a person's life where they disregard and they intentionally disregard. They come out and intentionally say, here's what scripture doesn't say when it does. God has not and will never change his stance on the moral code clearly spelled out in his word. 
Any attempts to justify what is clearly taught is a misrepresentation of the truth. It says this, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of His saints. Believer, God has more that He wants to reveal to you and me. Just like that hidden treasure. He promises to deliver if we seek and search. God has continual success in skillful living stored up for those who walk in integrity. For a person that says, God, what you say matters more than what I think. God has certain things in store for them that he doesn't have in store for others. Walking in integrity or uprightly does not mean to live a perfect life, else the blood of Christ was not necessary. What it does mean is that we have our flaws, but we deal with them according to the Word of God. It does not mean to live a perfect life without any flaws when we talk talk about integrity, which so many of us at church like to pretend we live if we're to be honest. Rather, it is a life that pursues the things of God with an understanding of the brokenness within. So here are a few things, and I want want you and I to pay attention to this. If If you get nothing out of the text, I want us to pay attention to this. Walking in integrity is not pretending that everything is just fine. That's not walking in integrity. To the believer that pretends everything is fine in their life, that does not mean that they're walking in integrity. Because if we were to be honest, many of us have a lot of things going in our lives that rock our world. And pretending that everything is fine is frankly being dishonest and not integrity-oriented. Walking in integrity is not looking to show someone else up. This isn't a competition where, you know, I'm walking closer to God than you are. That's not walking in integrity. Because the reality is your standard is God and what He thinks, not what your fellow believer thinks and how much better you are at living it out than they are. And this is essentially the problem for us in the church, right? We're more... Um, how, how can I say this, mature in a certain area, so we like look at somebody else that's not as mature in this area, and we're like, oh my goodness, how do they not get this? And we have our own flaws. We have areas that we're immature, that we are not clearly seeing in our own lives. We only have God to seek to please. What is walking in integrity? What does it mean? Walking in integrity is when I've done wrong against somebody, I admit it. I don't get defensive. I don't try to bolster my argument right away to say, how dare you call me out. Walking in integrity says, you know what? I blew it. Forgive me. Admit to it. Seek to restore that relationship. And not just leave it with, I said I'm sorry. There needs to be a genuineness to it. Walking in integrity means that I pursue what God would want even if it goes against my feelings and desires. 
His way, not mine. So many of us say we want to do what God wants, and in so many circumstances, we're literally only doing what we want. And we're claiming that that is what God would want because we are living off of our feelings, not his word. The tensions that we go through in life many times are our own fault, and we pretend it's always someone else. So what is it that God promises for those that walk in integrity? Here's the promise. There's protection that comes with living in integrity with God. He is your shield. You want real protection in this life? God's the best protection you can have. No offense to you gun owners, God is a greater protector than those guns. David had a sword. We believe God can use those things. Not opposed to that. But the reality is God is the greatest shield for us. The greatest protector for all of us that walk in integrity. There are many that will strive to destroy those that walk in integrity, but God has their back. You ever been in a spot in your life where your character was misaligned? Someone said something that wasn't true, and you just felt, man, like, how am I going to recover from this? But you knew you were right with God. That's what matters most. And sometimes we are wrong. Sometimes we have to eat crow. We have to own the sin that we've committed. But walking integrity means that, you know what, I care more what God thinks than what you say. I care more of what God's word says than what I even feel in this moment. Because my feelings are really messed up right now. I'm hurting and I'm about to lash out. And I'm going to keep it to myself because I'm really not going to respond in the way that God would want. Think of how many things would get so much better in our lives if we walked in integrity. I want you to pause for a moment and play this out and think about it with me. Our habits would change for the better, wouldn't they? If we walked in integrity with God. Like our habits regarding what we ate, drank, watched, listened to, or read. they change, wouldn't they? There's some things we'd probably be like, you know what, this really isn't benefiting my walk with God. In fact, actually it's destroying some of it kind of distracting me from what I really ought to be doing. So I probably should stop doing this. Here's a very practical one, and I, and I know it's, it's difficult sometimes to process, but as I said earlier, there's, there needs to be an intentionality. So if you know that by being very tired, you're not going to be able to focus on the Word of God, then get more sleep. Those are practical things. The pews can be used for naps, but that's not the intention of them. God's called you to more than that. And it's not, it's not because, you know, it's about me as a pastor. It's not. God's word is more precious than that. God's word is what matters. And the question to all of us is, what are we teaching our kids when it comes to those things? If we're wide awake for movies but asleep for a sermon, what are we, what are we teaching them? What about our relationships? Wouldn't they improve tremendously? If we walked in integrity, if we st instead of kind of wanting our own way, we're like, listen, here's what's going on. Here's why I'm struggling. Please forgive me. I really shouldn't have said what I said the other day. Really did not understand how I came across. Like, if we're just like, hey, boldly honest with our lives. I want to walk in integrity before God. I don't want anything between me and others, me and, me and God. 
All those areas of conflict would be much easier to work through. Can we avoid conflict entirely? No, that's not true. It's not going to happen. But don't you think a lot of things would be a lot easier to work through? If we strive to be people of integrity? What about our goals? You think our goals would change if we strive to be people of integrity? We wouldn't get caught up in pursuing the things that only hurt us spiritually, would, would we? If we, we saw something that really kind of pulled us away from wa- walking with God closely, we'd be like, no, you know what? That's, that, that's not good for me right now. It's not a sin. It's not a sin. But it definitely plays a role in my walk with God, and I really want to walk closer with God. It's a distraction, and I need to be careful because that distraction can become a God to me if I'm not careful. Believer, there's protection from God to those who walk in integrity. There are concerns you and I would never have that those without it have. Think of it this way. If you did a lot of things in your life that you would never want anyone else to find out, and let's be transparent for a moment here, wouldn't it be much easier if you already took care of all those things? Like you already asked for forgiveness, you already squared it away with God, wouldn't that be much easier than trying to hide and go, man, if they ever find out, I'm in big trouble now. I am in big trouble if they ever find out. Walking in integrity means sometimes owning the very darkest things in our lives that we don't want to deal with because at the end of the day, restoration's worth it. But for some of us, the, the bitterness is easier to live with than integrity. The hurt is easier to live with than integrity. The brokenness is easier to live with than integrity. Because all of that tells me that I can live for me. And living for God really takes real work, and it's uncomfortable sometimes. Very uncomfortable. You see, walking in integrity would be the equivalent of Daniel ruling as he should with the only thing that they could go after him was his relationship with God. And by the way, they did go after him. It didn't absolve him of any consequences. They did go after him for that. The beautiful part of that story is God is his protector and the lions don't take him out. They eat the people that wanted him in there. Think of the big picture if we were a church that strived to walk uprightly. How much attraction would there be for the gospel and the change that made a difference in our own lives. If everyone cared about their own walk with God and serving others, showing honor would come as a result of this pursuit of integrity. If you and I tried to undo one another in good works for the Lord, I think we'd have quite an amazing church to be a part of. If everybody said, you know what, it's not about me, what can I do for you? How can I help you out? And sometimes, yes, we need to ask for help because we can't do it ourselves. When we do stumble, when we do fall, it will be much easier to get back up on the right path if we sought to walk in integrity. You see, the truth here is, is God promises to preserve those that walk uprightly. This is a guarantee based on what Scripture says. God wouldn't do that for me. Yes, he would. 
The question to you and me is, are we wanting to pursue like this? Are we desiring, are we longing for wisdom like this? Saying, God, I really want this more than anything else. Those that have taken to heart what His Word says and earnestly strive to keep pursuing and longing for it, God promises these things too. They're not a promise to just anyone. They're a promise to those that walk uprightly. You see, believer, and some of you are wondering this right now, and I guarantee I was one of them. Well, how's that possible? I mean, God knows my makeup. He knows how I've lived my life, and there's so many things that, man, I keep failing in, and there's no way, there's no way that God really can do what He says here in my life because I keep failing. I want to give you a little hope here, though. David fell into a very grievous sin, right? He would probably not be ordained for pastor after he did what he did. Murdered a man, cheated with his wife, had a child out of wedlock, lied and covered it up. Definitely a scandal, right? Grievous. But I want you to listen as a man of integrity to this part of his repentance. Because it's easy for us to knock everybody around that does wrong. The question is not that they've done wrong. The question is how do they respond after they've been confronted on doing wrong. And that's the true meaning for all of us of whether we're people of integrity or not. Listen to what David says in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. Listen to this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. David's prayer by many today would be shut down. Most people, if they saw David pray this prayer, would say, you're a hypocrite. I know what you just did. You killed a man. Committed adultery. You covered it up. I don't believe you. Especially the last part where David says that he is going to teach other sinners God's ways. That'll blow you away. What right do you have to go teach anybody else? You know what you just did? People today would have been like, David, we know what you did. I don't think you should be telling others about God's word. Now, of course, there's a process here that David wants restoration of joy, right? The joy of salvation. But the truth is this, believer, there is nothing that he could do to undo the damage he caused. He could never undo the terrible sins he had committed, and neither can we. So, so here, here's where the hope lies. Stop thinking that God needs you to be perfect before you can share his truth with others. Walk in integrity. Meaning when you blow it, own it. You are a sinner who has a past, who has a present, 
and who still has a future where you will probably sin until you get to glory. That should never stop you and I from sharing the truth with others. It's important to reflect Christ well, believer. But don't let your past struggles with sin cut you off entirely from sharing the truth of God with others. They still need to hear it. Believers, stop waiting to be perfect to share. Can I, can I give you a truth? It won't happen. You won't be perfect. That's why it's about him and not you. That's why Jesus came and you're not the one paying. In verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. Because we have God's protection, we have a clear insight to the whole array of what is right, just, equal, and correct. God promises that if we pursue Him and His wisdom, there will be protection offered to us, not just from outside circumstances and situations, but from also the inside. Because the truth is, believer, the greater battle is in your heart. It's not everybody else. They have an influence. They sure do. The greatest fight is in your mind and in your heart. And our hearts are very wrong many times. In fact, this text gets very practical. It says, God gives insight that others without his wisdom simply do not have. Do you want to know why some people, when it comes to the Word of God, who truly love God, who long for His Word, who long to study, who long to pursue Him, see things a little more clearly than you and I do? It's because they're doing what this text says. And one of those areas is walking in integrity. You see, the truth is, people that are not understanding Scripture well may know what it says, but misapply in their particular situation to a lack of understanding in these areas. Which is one of the reasons why there's just only one thing to do sometimes is cry out, beg God to give you insight. Stop pretending you have all the answers. I know professors with amazing degrees, like tons of letters after their name, who lost their family and their ministry because they misapplied the Word of God that they thought they knew well. Making the call in certain areas in our lives is difficult, which is why apart from pursuing wisdom found in God's Word, we will find ourselves following the best we know how. And for some of us is me. I know better than everyone else. Everyone else's wisdom and advice is good, but I know better than they do. The truth is God knows better than all of us, and we need to ask Him. We with our own selves would have, will have our flaws. So as we close, I want to ask you this, and I sincerely do mean this. Do you long for wisdom? Do you long for wisdom? Is it something that you're saying, you know what, I really want this in my life? And I don't mean in a, just a generic, hey, I made some good decisions in my life that some people didn't. I'm not talking about that. Some of us can stumble into the right things once in a while. But I'm talking about the wisdom of God found in His Word. Do we want that? Do we long for it? 
Ask yourself this question, and, and, and I dare you to do this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad do you want God's wisdom? And be honest. If it's a 10, what are you going to change this week? What are you going to change this week? God, what do I need to change right now in my life that's going to make this pursuit intentional? I'm not going to lie to you anymore, Lord. When I said I mean that I surrender all, I'm going to surrender it all this week. And like that song says, though none go with me, yet I will follow. Right? Even if there's nobody else that comes along this path with me, I'm doing it. I'm going to do whatever it takes because I want this. I want you, Lord, in my life more than anything else. Ask yourself this question. Is it something you say so you feel better when you say, I want to be wise? Or is there a genuine yearning and longing for God's wisdom? Where are you on the path to pursuing wisdom? Are you someone that's received God's words? Do you treasure his commands? Do you memorize scripture? Do you incline your ear? Do you pay attention? Apply your heart. You know it. You're paying attention. Now you're going to do it. You cry out for discernment. Like You don't know some things and how to apply them in your life because they're a little more difficult to work through. You cry out to God during those things. Lift up your voice for understanding. And here's the last one. Do you seek and search for treasure? Do you dig in God's Word? You can't jump to the last step if you're not reading originally. You can't be like, I'm going to start digging tomorrow. Just find a shovel and start digging. No, you need to start by actually finding the soil first. And that's the Word of God. And start seeing what the landscape is like first. Start reading. And in that process, start digging. God promises insights that are only attained if we truly strive for wisdom with intentionality. It will not happen by accident, believer. If you're saying, I want to be wise, it'll just happen. It won't. Never does. There's protection for those that walk in integrity because they fear the Lord. And believer, here's the part that I do want to encourage you in. If you're saying, listen, I've wanted this before and I failed, don't stop. Don't stop searching for wisdom. Don't stop pleading for wisdom in your life. Cry out to God for these things. When everything seems broken internally and on the outside, don't stop calling out to God. Search for it diligently. It takes work. It's not a quick fix in your life. There are some things, believe it, that are worth the extra effort, and this is one of them. The fear of the Lord necessitates a Savior who saves from sin, which is why Jesus came on our behalf. If you and I want God's word without the Lord Jesus Christ, we only want quick fixes instead of the real thing. It starts with him. You need to walk with God first. You need to ask for forgiveness first. 
and then start reading the Word of God, start pursuing Him. Come bow at the feet of Jesus in surrender. Pray asking for forgiveness. He can restore what's been broken. He offers everlasting life, and He even promises us that He's come to give us life abundant in the here and now, not just in eternity.